This episode of Lean Green Dad Radio is sponsored by Clean Machine, providing the best line of clean vegan sports nutrition supplements on the planet. Visit them online at cleanmachineonline.com and use the code LGD for Lean Green Dad CMA for 20% off at checkout. That's LGD CMA. Hey everybody, welcome to Lean Green Dad Radio. Hey everybody, welcome to Lean Green Dad Radio. <laughs> From sunny Orlando, Florida, this is Lean Green Dad Radio, the podcast that provides fuel for families. And now, here's your host, Corey Warren. Hey everybody, what's going on? I hope your week is going great, and if this is your first time hearing us, then welcome. My name's Corey, I am a husband, I'm a father of three amazing kids, and uh, each week I get a chance to host the show and talk to some of the most inspiring folks that I can find to help keep me focused, to stay motivated and stay fit and eat healthy and really get the most out of life as a busy parent. You know, see, for me, finding time to work out and make healthy, quick meals for me and my family while spending quality time together can be pretty difficult. So I try to get these folks on the show so they can give you a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of information that you can walk away with to make your days better and keep you and your family going strong. Now, today's guest is Howard Jacobson. Now, Howard, who goes by Howie in the plant-based circle of friends that he has, is a researcher, a coach, a marketer, and an author, most importantly, a dad. He has a unique story, folks, that's taken him from feeling like an old man at just 35 years old to being an ultra-marathoner and a co-author of two of the most influential plant-based books out there right now. I'm so excited for you guys to meet him, and I hope you enjoy the episode, so let's get right into it. It's my conversation with Howard Jacobson. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. Today, I'm so honored to have not only a friend, but also a plant Howard, wonderful person. We have Howard Jacobson joining us for the show. Welcome to the show, Howard. Thank you, Corey. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. We, uh, of course, you are a plant-based speaker, an author, an ultra runner, but most importantly, a dad. And we've got lots of things to talk about. Uh, I'm, I'm so excited that we had talked in the past on your show, and I've been looking forward to this date for quite a long time. So thanks for making the time. A pleasure. A pleasure. I really want to focus on what you're really a specialist at, and that is, you know, you have your PhD in stress management, and uh, I, I want to talk about managing habits and how people transition from going to McDonald's or feeding their kids McDonald's, they think they're too busy to eat this plant-based lifestyle, to cooking at home, to making simple meals, and really just changing that whole mindset. Um, I know for you, when your kids were very young, you... You even admitted on your, your your webpage there that you yourself, you know, you're feeding them chocolate-flavored yogurts and pancakes and lots of processed foods, and it's just to get by. And trust me, I get it, man, because I am a busy parent myself, uh, and and this the stress that comes along with that, it, it can be a lot. And the last thing that you want to worry about is, you know, putting the food on the table that's going to be perfect for your family. But uh, to kind of switch that, it, it requires a lot of effort. And to make the food 
one of the most important things in your life, it's not an overnight transition. So what what was that process like for you from going from McDonald's to a whole food plant-based diet? Yeah. Well, so the the embarrassing bit is I had already done it once in my life. So I knew what I should have been eating because in, in 1990, uh, following the death of my father from a heart attack, and I was like 25 years old, not quite 25, um, I was wandering in a Barnes and Noble and I picked up John Robbins' Diet for a New America hmm. and I flipped immediately. I just, you know, I dove into the book, it opened my eyes and I immediately became a whole food plant-based vegan, although the, the term hadn't been created yet. Right. Um, and, you know, in three weeks, I lost 21 pounds without trying. You know, I'm still, I'm still trying to get back into, you know, those 31 waist <laughs> slacks that, uh, <laughs> you know, were the, the hallmark of that fabulous era. I felt great. I had all this energy. And, like, six years later, when my daughter was born... Somehow I had forgotten all about it. And I don't even, I can't even tell you like how it happened or when it happened or where it happened. But like I went from like, this is so clear. We shouldn't be eating these foods. And I felt great to like, like it had never happened. Like it was some sort of dream. Like, you know, you wake up in the morning and you sort of grasp your dream. And by, by noon, it's completely gone. Yes. Yes. So, so I didn't even have a vague recollection. So I remember when my daughter was like two years old and she, she's what we, what we call a spirited child, which is... I have one, I have one of those as well, my son. The mm -hmm. nice way of saying, you know, she would argue about everything <laughs> until she won. And yes. we were at the Parkway Pizza, and she liked pizza, but she didn't like the cheese on top. She just liked the, the, the bread and the, and the sauce. And I am there telling her, you've got to eat your cheese. Oh, no. I'm kind of forcing her and like we're doing these deals, like, you know, like like it was, you know, Brussels sprouts and chocolate. Like, she, you know, she's oh. not going to get the French fries until she eats the cheese on the pizza. That's, oh, no. That's as low as I had sunk by, like, yeah. you know, mid-1998. Okay. And in November 1999, my son was born. And, you know, I have, I have photographs of myself from that period. Thankfully, not that many because it was just pre-digital. And, you know, I was a round guy and I have a, um, a doctor's, um, note from the period where he, he circled my cholesterol, which was 224 and he wrote, good job, keep it up on it. And like, and, and, and you have to understand that at this time by in 1999, like I had just received my PhD in health studies. So I was not an ignorant person. I had a master's in public health, and I had, I had experienced the, the benefits of a whole food plant-based diet, and it was like, you know, the, the evil fairy had come to the christening and smacked me with a wand and made me forget <laughs> all of it. Oh, no. So, you know, the kids were getting sick all the time. We were going to the doctor endlessly, and, you know, we were... We were my wife and I are like not into medicine, so we were going to see like homeopathists and and, and Reiki people and um, you know Traeger and and um, the cranial sacral stuff, like whatever we could try to do to figure out like how can we help our kids be be healthier. My son would get like every two weeks would get a uh, an ear infection, and we were just about to schedule the operation to put tubes in, 
And then I went to a marketing conference in 2003, and I met a guy, uh, John Allen Mollenhauer, who had started a business called My Trainer, and he was into this like plant-based diet. And he was very charismatic, and he convinced me during the um, the conference, like I would just follow him around and eat what, ate, what he ate. And he explained it to me, and he told me about this guy, Colin Campbell, and this guy, John McDougall, and this guy, Joel Furman. And I started reading their stuff, and it, it made a lot of sense. And Furman, you know, in particular, um, was doing a lot, well, was a family practitioner. He saw children a lot. So he was writing on his website all about, you know, ear infections and stuff. So we went home and canceled, I went home and we canceled the, um, the, the procedure to put the, the tubes in my son's ears to help him drain. Right. We eliminated dairy. And he has never had another ear infection. Isn't that incredible? That's amazing. I mean, this is a major surgery. And, you know, it, it doesn't sound like it's major surgery because we hear it so often these days. Uh, and it just seems like the, the natural progression, okay, we've done one round of antibiotics, two rounds, three rounds. Hey, you might want to consider putting tubes in the ears. And then, oh, yes, just one of those things. Oh, bummer. We got to go get little Charlie, you know, tubes in his ears. Isn't that unfortunate? Oh, yeah, well, that's part of life. But it doesn't have to be. Yeah. And it's well, so funny that you, you knew all this info and you still, you know, you, it, was, it was like almost another life, you know, before you had your kids. Yeah, and you know, and, and even as even as I didn't like doctors and trust doctors, they were very convincing when things were bad. Mm. You know, because what they were and, and they were very convincing about these tubes because what what they were comparing it to was another set of medical procedures. And I knew that, you know, antibiotics like practically a drip. You know, he would take it for 14 days, get better for a week and then have another infection. Right. That was not good and tubes felt better than that. So when, when you're like one of the main things that I work with people on now is just expanding the horizon of their perceived options. Because mm -hmm. if, if your only options are antibiotics and tubes, I would say tubes is a damn good idea. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, if your option is, well, why, not, why don't we solve the problem at its root, then, then both of them become ridiculous, as, as I discovered. Right. Mm. But when you're, when you're in a routine, I mean, obviously you had an experience that, it was kind of a, a light switch for you that, that turned on, you know, it was on, then it got shut off and then it got turned back on. But what about folks that they, they don't have that light switch and, and it's more of a progression for them. Is, is that where your, your, my trainer and your coaching came in? You, you, you had a health and wellness coach kind of help you along the way, right? To get back into this lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know that I can speak to to where I was because it was so long ago. Right. Um, like what was the tr what was the trigger? Like I'd always I'd always considered myself an athlete, mm -hmm. and I and I didn't feel very athletic. You know, I had skills, but you know, so I've I've played ultimate frisbee. Um, there you go. Competitively, pretty much since um, like eighth grade. Was, you know, like nineteen seventy eight. Awesome. And, and I'm good. Like I've got good throws. You know, I understand strategy to some extent. But and so I, I still felt a little bit athletic. And as the years went on, and I played in in rec leagues and on teams, people were like getting faster than me and having more stamina. And you know, when I got really tired, I would make stupid throws. 
And I just was like, in, in my early 30s, I'm chalking it up to aging, like in my mind. Like, ah, oh, these 20-somethings. You know, so, but like to not be able to run up a hill. And then I started developing these terrible back problems. And I, you know, my kids would like try to jump on me and I'd be like, no, 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 you can't do that. And I, I just felt really sad. And there was, there was definitely a gap and a progression where I kind of let myself go and I let myself slip away and, you know, focusing on career and, and uh, relationship with my wife and, and these, you know, very spirited children and just being exhausted. And like I, the, the, the flame never went out of me being like a, an athlete and a, and a star, but it's, it certainly was, you know, was a very, you know, low, low ember. Yeah. Well, you know, but with that, with that behavior, and and the stress management. I mean, how do you, when you're in the most stressful time in your entire life, is it is it an outside stimulus that can snap you out of it? Is that the only way to do it? Are there actionable items that people can do who know they need to get out of a rut that they're in, but just don't know how? Yeah, it's the easiest thing in the world. What is it? You just decide. <laughs> you, you don't, you know... Like there's, there's a, we have a lot of myths in our culture. One of the, one of the myths is the myth of rock bottom, right? Someone's got to hit rock bottom. We get this from the, um, you know, addiction right. step community. I also, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of into like online marketing stuff, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that was my career for 15 years when I was a newbie. Like everybody who stood up on stage and was selling their $1,500 package on how to make a million bucks yeah. had, had a rock bottom, bottom story. Ah. And there was, you know, there was times, it sounds crazy, but I was like sitting in the audience and I was like, damn, I wish my family was living in my sister-in-law's basement eating, <sighs> eating ramen and Ritz crackers because that would motivate me. Oh, you sound like me. That's the same thing with me. I'm like, I say the same thing. I'm like, man, I don't have a rock bottom. I, I, I'm missing out here. Like, I've really got to get my stuff together and figure out what my rock bottom is, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so I can inspire people, but I, I don't know. No, I mean, it's a story. It, it is a story of struggle, though. I mean, there, you have a story of struggle. I mean, your story of struggle is that you knew and then you fell off and then now you're back, you know? Um, you fed your kids McDonald's. That's, that can be your quote-unquote rock bottom, you know? Yeah, uh, who needs it? You know, yeah. Like, or we, let's, let's play a game of who had it worse. Exactly. Like, that's, that's one of the reasons we were talking about uh, Josh Lajani. Yeah. Before we started recording, you know, this 420 pound ex, you know, football player, college dropout, former drug dealer, et cetera, et cetera, from the most dysfunctional kind of family background you can imagine. And he's now on the cover of Runner's World and, you know, run competitively racing in 100 mile races and, you know, you look at him and you go, you know what? I got nothing. Exactly. Yeah. No, sub six minute miles or something like that. The guy's unbelievable. I've been unbelievable. Yeah. So, uh, so why do we, we don't need a rock bottom. We don't need excuses. Right. All you have to do if you're, you know, at any point is you just decide and you say, no, I want more. I want better. I, I, you know, I am not this. I am, I've, I lost myself and all I got to do, like you lose yourself, 
if you're driving and you're lost, you know, all of a sudden the GPS says, you know, satellite not found and you, you realize you're on the wrong road, you don't keep going. Or you don't just turn off the car and sit there feeling sorry for yourself and, and, you know, and hoping like, you know, maybe you keep driving and hope that you drive into a ditch because that will really motivate you. You you turn around the frigging second you realize you're lost. Right. So, so, so you decide, you decide and you're, and you're there, you're going to do this plant-based lifestyle. What is the first step that you do as far as resources, like what to eat? People always freak out about like, yeah, but what am I supposed to eat? And I think the idea of food itself and what it actually is needs to kind of morph uh, because thinking of things like fruits, uh, nuts, seeds, beans, uh, veggies, you know, eating these unprocessed just foods from nature, it they don't think about them as food or fuel, uh, these micronutrient-rich foods. So what is the first step after you decide and how do you make it attainable for yourself. Right. Well, I think, you know, people who are listening to this have already decided to, to find a teacher, right? You. And I think the, there's a, there's a large burden on us who step up to be teachers to understand pedagogy, to understand how people learn. Cause like, you know, you were asking me about what it was like in 1999 and 2000. And I have a narrative, but I can't rem- I, I remember moments. Like I remember the, the, the pizza moment. And I remember other moments, but I don't remember what it was like and how I climbed out of it. And, and, and so I, it's very easy for me to say, look, here's, here's what to eat. It's very simple. Eat beans, you know, greens, ve- green vegetables, salads, stir fries without oil, and then leave it at that and say, well, it's so obvious, you know, just, just go do it. And the truth is, it's, it's like telling someone, speaking Italian is really easy. There's verbs, there's nouns. You know, if you're very excited, you say, isimo. And you'll go figure it out. Now, if, if you plop someone in Italy where nobody speaks English, yeah, they will figure it out. And they'll, you know, they'll struggle and they won't have a choice. So if you take someone and you, and you immerse them in a whole food plant-based world where there's nothing else to eat and that's the supermarket that they can shop in, like, they'll figure it out. But the truth is, if you t- try to teach someone Italian and you give them, you know, half an hour of an Italian lesson and then you send them back to the Bronx or Wichita and there's nobody to speak Italian to, they're not going to learn. So we have to understand pedagogy and understand that, w- that people are learning a whole new skill. And it's not as simple as just making a bunch of decisions. Like, you know, if you don't decide to learn Italian, you want to learn Italian. But once you decide, that doesn't mean you've learned Italian. Now you have to develop the skill. And I think as, as educators, we have to say to people, okay, let's start with one simple thing. Like, can you, you know, and, and break it down into as small steps as possible. So if someone's listening to this and they're trying to do it on their own, like, so let's start with a salad. Can you make a salad? Now, a lot of people start from a position of, well, I don't like lettuce or I don't like this vegetable. I don't like that vegetable. And say, okay, well, are there any vegetables you do like? Like, just put a bunch of raw vegetables that you can stomach together, and here's, here's a recipe for a single dressing, or here's a, you know, a dressing you can buy, you know, an Engine 2 or Forks Over Knives dressing or, or, or um, Wellness Forum Health dressing that's, you know, par, you know, acceptable in the program. And let's just do this one thing, and let's let you master that. And once you've mastered that, then we're going to go to oatmeal. And we're going to do, we're, you know, we'll do two weeks on oatmeal because there's no rush. 
there's almost never a rush. And instead of overwhelming people, like take, like, yeah, make big changes, but understand that you're learning a skill and commit to learning that skill over the long haul. You wouldn't, you know, take Italian for two weeks and then try to write uh, Dante's Inferno. You wouldn't, you wouldn't start playing guitar, have your first lesson now, and, and book your recital at Carnegie Hall for four months from now. So, so I think that, that eating a whole food plant-based lifestyle is as complex and challenging a skill in our society as, as any skill that we have to learn. I love that. And the, the smallest steps smallest steps as possible. I mean, two weeks on oatmeal, oatmeal in the morning is great. Uh, most folks that are on a plant-based whole food, plant-based diet start off with oatmeal and you just pile stuff on top of it. You know, fresh fruits, uh, wonderful stuff, maybe a little bit of maple syrup if you want to sweeten it up a tiny bit, but yeah, I did, I did maple syrup for, for a couple of years Mm -hmm. and, you know, tried every so often to reduce it. And now I just, uh, you know, I buy the, the gross bananas that they're about to toss you know, the ones that are 69 cents a pound instead of you know 99 cents a pound and i just uh you know throw throw them in the freezer and defrost one a day and mush it at the bottom of my bowl for for my sweetener well let, let's talk about that you know we, we touched on meals can we w- walk me through your day of of what you eat you start off with uh, a bowl of oatmeal is that right sometimes uh, okay you know, I mean, yeah, for a while it was like that was my skill, <laughs> right? That, that, was, that was the thing I could do. Um, then, you know, then I, then I started doing, you know, like triple gainers, like making oatmeal at night. And, oh, wow. You know, just or just um, putting, putting the oatmeal, a bowl of oatmeal with almond milk or water in the fridge overnight and mixing it with some raisins and, and stuff like that. Um, then I got into steel cut oats. And made some savory steel cut oat recipes in an instant pot. Um, then I found this product at Costco called Coach's Oats, which is some sort of uh, cross between rolled and, and steel milled. Um, then I would make them into cookies with, you know, oats, bananas, uh, raisins. And so, you know, so yeah, oatmeal, like I had oatmeal this morning. Um, so if it's, um, you know, Yesterday morning, I had leftover pea soup. Nice. In the, in the morning, you had pea soup in the morning? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I, see, I, I got to stick to my oatmeal or like I'll have a Rips Big Bowl or something like that. Uh-huh. It make, makes it easier for me. I can't, I can't do dinner for breakfast for some reason. It just doesn't work. I can do breakfast for dinner, but I can't do dinner for breakfast. See, I've never been a big breakfast guy. Uh, well, you usually work out in the morning, right? I mean, you're going for your runs in the morning? Yeah. So you don't want a full stomach when you're running. No, no, I don't need anything until I'm, I'm done running. Gotcha. Okay, so you come back after your run. What do you do? Um, well, then um, I go outside and I pour five gallons of uh, extremely cold water over my body. Okay. Um, just, just to prove that I'm tough. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there's a lot of health benefits to it. Um, nice. Which I, I can sort of speak to. I've like... I'm like a third hand consumer of the research. Like I haven't gone and done the studies like I have with nutrition, but I'm like, okay, probably not going to hurt me. And it's very, it's definitely de-wimpified me. It's like a daily ice bucket challenge. Yes. Okay. Wonderful. 
Um, and, and, and every morning it is a challenge. Like I've been doing it for six months now and there's no morning in which I'm like <laughs> excited about it. Yeah. You can't work your, especially in the winter. I mean, you're doing it in the winter where it, when it's cold. Yeah. This morning I had to, um, decouple the hose because the hose was frozen. So I had to just take it right off of the wall. Spigot. Oh my God. And where are you, where are you at? What, what state are you in? Uh, North Carolina. Oh yeah. It's cold right now. Holy cow. It was like 21 degrees this morning. Oh my God. Are you near Asheville? No, about four hours. Oh, I've never been to Asheville, but I've heard so many amazing things. I got to go check it out. It's like a vegan paradise, I hear. It is. And it's also kind of a running paradise. Wow. Well, I know uh, no meat athletes out there, right? No nope. athlete. Matt Fraser's out there. And also yep. Danny Dreyer, who wrote Chi Running. Wow. Week. Yeah, that trail running is a whole nother thing for me. I just do uh, nice flat Florida asphalt running and trail i guess our trails are flat though totally flat and they're they've they're cemented so uh if there was ever a trail challenge or any kind of hills i'd be in big trouble but that's okay we'll figure that out later um all right so what what do you do for lunch so for lunch um very often it will be a salad uh my daughter who the one who i fought with so much is uh is a really good cook and she makes some amazing salads where she just shreds a bunch of stuff like red cabbage, carrots. Um, she'll toss in some avocado. Right now, uh, we're getting a lot of beautiful pomegranates. Um, she'll get some garden greens and, and mix it all with like sushi vinegar. Nice. Just throw it all together. So it's a giant bowl. Oh, great. The nice thing yeah. about salads, you know, they, they, they sell these like, bowls that are way too large like asian grocery stores yes you know <laughs> you could kind of wear as a helmet if you put yep. it hard mm -hmm. like if i fill that with with real food <laughs> exactly very unhappy but if I, but I fill the whole thing with salad i could just spend like half an hour just kind of plowing through it and feel yep. like very um very greedy Yep, and satisfied. And, you know, I, I want to talk about the, the dressing because there's so many dressings on the market. Obviously, Forks Over Knives has their oil-free dressings, which are great. But, um, you know, uh, when we met at the uh, plant stock, Bima and, pa Bima and Paws was there with their uh, balsamic vinaigrettes and their other flavored um, vinegars, right? Yep. And I love those. I have those that I, I get them shipped to my house and then... I just pour those on my salads and I, there's like a mango infused one and all these other different flavors, cucumber. It's just wonderful and oil free, completely oil free. Have you tried yeah. those? Yeah. When we went to plant stock the first time we ended up buying like $120 worth of their, oh, yeah. their just, uh, so, some of them we used up right away and like some of the weirder flavors we're still working our way through. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, like well, they're, they're, they're good, but they're less, less sort of like da applicable daily. Right, right. You got to have the special salad for that one. Um, well, talk. To, let's talk about you. Let's talk about um, everything going on with the books. Uh, are you working on anything right now? Obviously, Whole and Proteinaholic are the ones that everybody knows you for. Um, and I'm sure that everybody's familiar with Garth and, of course, T. Colin Campbell, who has been a guest on the show before. But um, talk to me about what, what's on the horizon. What are you working on now? Right now, I'm working on a, a couple of things with Josh Lajani. Cool. When we mentioned earlier. So he and I met on Facebook. Uh, Garth Davis shared his before and after picture. And I was like, holy cow, I've got to find out more about that. Oh, yeah. And, you know, at this point, so I, as you said, I just finished Proteinaholic. 
I had worked on Hole with Colin Campbell, which which then working on Hole was the third time that I transitioned to a whole food plant based diet. Because Colin and I had been friends since about 2005, when uh, when we met and we did we talked about collaborating on things. Nothing nothing ever really presented itself. We you know we had a few meetings and thought about ways of of spreading the word, but nothing really happened. We stayed in touch. And then he had this manuscript that he wanted me to work on. And at that point, I was living in South Africa, which was a very meat-heavy culture. And I was eating meat. And I was even, like, I had been seeing this chiropractic neurologist who was, like, really into Chinese medicine and, you know, liver for for this chi. And, um, you know, oh, the China study has been debunked. You know, you should look at this uh, statistical analysis by Denise Minger. And I'm like, oh, wow, wow. You know, I didn't realize this. This stuff, this debunking stuff looks very sophisticated. And, and so I was kind of getting away. Then when, when Colin called and said, you want to work on this book? Like, I didn't tell him that I, I had become like a doubter. Right, right. You know, I really, you know, love and admire him. Yeah, you and, might not want to mention that to him, yeah. yeah well, <laughs> but he found out anyway, didn't he? Um, well, in the course of the book, I, ha- I raised some challenges, like, you know, not, not in a mean way, but like, what about this and what about that? And then I started doing the research myself. And that was really a key for me to not, because, you know, t- all right, so T. Colin Campbell, I hear him speak, I read his book, and I become a convert to the church of whole food plant-based. But it's faith-based. You know, then I hear John McDougall, and I'm a, I'm a faith-based adherent of his. I'm a faith-based adherent of Doug Lyle you know, et cetera, et cetera. But it's because I like them better than the other guys. I don't have any basis to, to decide, you know, who's right and who's wrong until I begin to do the research myself. And I understand how you, how to think about it and how to evaluate sources. And at that point it became clear that his critics had no idea what they were talking about. And so then I, you know, I came back to the fold. Um, but even, you know, so even at that point I, I wasn't exercising that much. Like, I, yeah, I'd jog a couple of miles every now and then. And I would play Frisbee and I would take myself out as soon as I started feeling a little bit winded. But I wasn't in great shape. Um, I, I look taller than I am. So most people don't realize that I'm about, I was about 25 pounds overweight. And, or at least they wouldn't say it to me. Um, and then I met Josh and we started talking and he was telling me a story and we started talking about me helping him with his book. And so he, we arranged for him to come up and spend five days up in North Carolina where we would work on the book every day. And, you know, I thought, well, you know, this guy's a runner. Why don't we, why don't I invite him to go running? I said, Hey, you want to do a run in the morning? And we picked this seven mile loop, which was exactly four miles longer than I had ever run. Oh my gosh. You know, since we moved to this house like two years ago. Yeah. And we're doing this loop. I didn't even know it was a loop. <laughs> oh my goodness. You know, and, um, and I'm working really hard. Like my heart rate is pounding and, you know, he's jogging along and he's slowing down with me and encouraging me up the hills. And we come in and like, this is as, this is as fast and as hard as I've, run in decades and we get back to the house and I do a final sprint just to show off. And my thought as we walk up the driveway back to the house is, well, it's easy for you. You don't have 25 extra pounds of blubber on you. 
You're kidding me. That's exactly what I was thinking. Holy cow. For to, uh, you know, with this guy who ran off 200 pounds. Oh. Two, you know, 230 pounds. He ran. Right. And I'm like, well, you don't know what it's like to be chopped. Uh-huh. Of course. So I didn't say it. Except later in the day, we have, you know, we're kind of kicking back, we're relaxing a little bit, and I admit it to him. And, and of course, we have, we have a good chuckle. Yeah. The next day, we're going to, you know, two days later, we're going to run again. And he shows up wearing a 20-pound weight vest. What? Which somehow he had brought with him in his truck from New Orleans. Hilarious. So now he called me on my BS. So we did the running. Oh. It was it was slightly worse. This time he didn't hang with me when I was going too slow. When he felt like I wasn't pushing, he'd run on ahead. Mm. And just kind of keep out of the corner of his eye that I was still there, that I wasn't like, you know, roadkill. And at that point, at the end of our five days, we're sitting down, we're planning the next steps. And I say, you know, I think I'd like to run an ultra. And, and I said it at least 50% as sort of a, a participant journalist. Like if I'm right. right about this, I should, I should know what it's like. I should, you know, and, and I said, would you coach me on that? And he said, yeah, sure. And he got sort of excited, but he also had this look in his face. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this before. Sure. <laughs> so, you know, I guess, you know, his, his experience, people say that a lot. And then when, when it gets hard, they don't do it. Mm. Um, but I did it. Um, and, and that I, was recent, right? You just completed that not too long ago. I completed it on October 1st of 2016, 2016. Nice. Oh my gosh. And how long was it? It was hundred fifty miles, 50 K 50 K. So it was oh the, my gosh. the smallest ultra you could do, but still and it an was, ultra. Yeah, it was, it was an ultra. And it's, you know, I was like, I started getting depressed the week afterwards where I didn't have anything to train for. And so I quickly signed up for a 10 mile race. And after that, I signed up for a marathon that's coming up in March. And then I think I want to do 50 miles because now I see the value of having, you know, first, first of all, the act of having to get up every day and do something unpleasant is the biggest gift in the world when, when it, when it, when it feels freely chosen. I think you just gave me the soundbite that we're going to use for your entire podcast. Cool. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, um, gosh, you know, I, I am running the New York City Marathon in uh, 2017, so uh, about 11 months from now. And that's that's kind of my next big goal. What what's your next big one? Do you have anything as far as um, you know athletic goals on the horizon for for well, the next year? Yeah. So I have the marathon that I'm okay. doing in March, nice. and it's it's a flat fast course. And so I'm toying, I'm playing with Boston qualifying, which Oof. for my age would be three hours and thirty minutes. Okay. And some days. When I train, I think maybe I can do it. And some days when I train, I think this is too much of a stretch goal. Mm. And I should go for 345. And so I don't know. Like there's, I, you know, you there's, do it. huh? You can do it. You can totally do it. Yeah. Maybe, you know, I, I think I can do it. The question is at, at what cost? Right. And is it, you know, am I doing it for ego? Am I doing it because it's the right amount of challenge? 
So you know, at a cer- at a certain point, you you know, I had I had to I had to kind of go within. So like, what's what's my motivation here? What's important to me? And I knew I wanted to get faster because now you know, 50k, you know, like running distances feels like a fabulous challenge, but there's not that many sort of uses for that in daily life. Mm. Actually running 30 miles. Right. My car breaks down. Like it feels good to know that wherever my car breaks down, I can get home in five hours. Yes. You know, Armageddon, hot flips. <laughs> yeah, I can get home. Yeah. But I wanted to work on speed because I wanted to play Frisbee better again. So, so the next one, I don't know, maybe a 50 miler. It might be a 5K. It might be a two, you know, a 200 meter. Um, yeah. Yeah, because I would think with the ultimate frisbee, you almost need to have uh, those type two muscle fibers—the ones that are the the quick responders, you know—rather than the the type one. And this is my personal trainer side coming out here, but you know those those type ones that uh, are are better for the endurance races and stuff like that. So uh, really tapping into your anaerobic zone, and that's something that I don't know if you do when in distance running. You know, it's more aerobic depending on what uh, what your heart rate is and where you're at fitness level wise but um yeah that that would be interesting especially in a 5k to just sprint it the entire time and just have your heart rate pounding the entire time that would right. be amazing right and i need that now because you know like running 17 miles 20 miles 23 miles isn't the challenge that it was right and so what i'm looking for is i i don't want to you know i don't want to get complacent so i want to make sure that my experiences training continually push me to the place where I have to grow. Yeah. You want to shock your body and continue to force it to adapt. That's what I try to do with my training too. So try to not do the same workouts unless you're trying to do like a, a muscular, you know, growth type of thing. But, um, yeah, I was doing, uh, can you hear my little guy in the background? Yeah. Is that the third <laughs> one? Yes. No, that's my, my youngest. He's off of daycare today. Little Parker. He's, uh, hi buddy. Huh. Looks like he's eating a marker right now, so that's wonderful. Uh, well, mommy, mommy, will grab him in a second. But, well, listen, Howard, I I cannot thank you enough for just taking the time to hang out, talk with me, uh, share your personal story, but also you know provide some inspiration, especially to folks that might might have fallen off the wagon and, and are looking to get back on. So, uh, thank you for that. I I really value our friendship, and uh, I look forward to to keeping in touch as we continue to evolve in this plant based lifestyle. Right on. I, I learn a lot from you, and I send I send lots of parents to to your site for for guidance uh, and inspiration. And I'm you know I'm so glad we're all we're all pushing our our boulder down the road and, uh, and pushing the lifestyle forward. Hey guys, what's up? It's Corey back in the studio. Thank you so much for making it through another episode of Lean Green Dad Radio. But hey, don't let your experience end here. Visit us online at leangreendad.com. There you can sign up for our free three-part grocery guide series where I take you through Whole Foods and show you some of the parent-friendly, kid-friendly brands that I approve of. Uh, They also come with these little cheat sheets you can take with you to the store. Really, really great. If you don't want to go to the homepage and find that, you can just go to leangreendad.com slash grocery guide. Sign up for it right there. Also, we have a Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram, and a YouTube channel. We look forward to connecting to you on one or all of those mediums. And uh, can't thank you enough. Just thank you so much for tuning in, 
listening, leaving reviews when you can in the iTunes store, all that kind of stuff really does matter to a podcaster and a dad just like me. So until next time, my friends, this is Corey saying keep going that extra mile for your family. See you next week.